As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our final Champions League group stage review of the season. And kind of our final one ever. Changes are a-coming. Yeah. There was disappointment for Man United and Newcastle. Joy for every single Europa League team as Lon stopped Sevilla qualifying for it. There were goals and assists for Americans. Shock wins, but ultimately meaningless wins for Antwerp and Celtic and much, much more. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to discuss the action from Europe's top table, our man from Arizona's top table, Joe Lowry. Hello. I made it to the top table. Let's go. I didn't know this had happened. I'm honored to beat out uh, Tumbleweed and Dirt for uh, for mm. the top of the table spot. Ryan, it is an incredible observation on your part to point out Sevilla's miss of the Europa League. That is a major, major victory for every yeah. other Europa League team. As you said, that is well played, sir. Thursday nights will never be the same again, Joe. That's all I got to say. Wow. Um, yeah, Arizona's top table, I guess it's you. Uh, is Guy Fieri from Arizona? It feels like he is. is I, he? Sure. I don't think so, but I would love to take Guy Fieri into our Arizona <laughs> table, and I would happily hand him top spot. Nothing would make me happier. Wonderful stuff. I tell you what would make me happier. Joining us right now, a man from New York's top table, David Goss. Hello, David. There's zero chance that's true. <laughs> yeah, there's a significantly more competitive yeah, bunch there. This is a bit like, you know, <laughs> Copenhagen versus Man U, where I'm maybe swimming in a deeper pool. And Guy Fieri is definitely from Phoenix. Is he really? Uh, yeah. He's the biggest Phoenix Suns fan in the world. I don't know if people from non-Phoenix become (laughs) Phoenix Suns fans, so I could be wrong, but... The internet, gosh, the internet tells me, Mm -hmm. and this is fitting, Mm -hmm. he is from Columbus, Ohio. Oh, no way. Which maybe I'm accepting some of the the Columbus vibes that came my way. I I have never heard of Guy Guy Fieri really being from Phoenix. I did not know he was a Suns fan either. He's their biggest celebrity fan because, again... Phoenix, no offense. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Well, uh, Gus, you compared yourself to Copenhagen and Man United in the top table analogy. Uh, if you're Copenhagen, you are at the top table, baby. Thank right? you. 
right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's there a huge go. honor just to be considered. You know, that's what us and the other Danes are are talking about. <laughs> Indeed. Well, tables aside, uh, we're going to get to the Champions League action very shortly. No Taylor Rockwell on this show. He is still training his new young Padawan. Star Wars reference, Joe. Proud of me? Yes, you are. Uh, his uh, his new daughter is here, of course. Ryan Bailey Rockwell is here. She's doing great. I'm very honoured. Uh, Graham isn't here. He's had the temerity to take a vacation at this point. A quick break from his 160-hour work weeks for Graham, but he'll be back shortly. Um, Joe, I don't know if you saw the big news. There's been some more soccer players in my neighbourhood. Did you see? I I did hear about this. I'm still getting yeah. over Ryan Bailey Rockwell. So, <laughs> so please good. continue. Just embrace it. It's fine. Taylor has. It's all oh, good. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some Charlotte FC players have been training the past couple of days, literally outside my window of my apartment. I don't do they, know why they have a training. Do they not season. have? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Are the Panthers like just being mean to them this week or what's I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> I literally have no idea if they're still there today. I'm going to go out and say what gives because you have a, you have a thing for this. Go go use that thing. Uh, anyway, um, just thought I'd update you there because it's important to let people know that soccer players live in my vicinity. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you would like to support the show with our bonus content, we've got bonus episodes on there, videos and of course, access to the Discord disco. You can't spell Discord without disco got it the right way around this time joe there you go proud of me once again uh let's get to the champions league action though shall we uh and as mentioned uh mr goss this is the final champions league group stage as we know it evs goodbye my lover goodbye my friend next year uh, we've got 36 teams in one league every team is going to play eight opponents four home four away I'm kind of into it because we get more variety of games. We won't have the same pair of games week on, you know, every every two weeks. I I don't mind it. I'm not a Swiss expert, and I believe you guys have done an episode on it. Will it be fairer, quote unquote? Like, mm. let's be real. I think I walked away from this week and the over the course of the last few weeks, I mean, like Milan deserved compared to some of the other teams to be in the next round. Will that be fixed next year, quote unquote? We talked about this when we did the episode about how having a little bit more in the group stage should allow the teams that have more quality to theoretically recover from a mistake, right? Even though you're still going to have games against the big boys and, and the schedule should be balanced in some sort of a major league soccer kind of way, I, I think having a couple of extra games in the opening round of the competition, even though that structurally will look different, should make it easier for some of those teams to go on in advance. Now, it's entirely possible that this whole league system with the new you know, knockout stage after that and then eight teams get a buy. It's possible that all of these different factors throw some wrenches in there that I don't really expect. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to pretend to be all seeing here, but I do think I do think it's going to give a little bit of an edge to teams that are really good, but make a mistake early and then have time to recover. Interesting. Well, we shall see how it goes. New things are coming, uh, but in terms of things that have keep on happening, why don't we talk about Man United first? Uh, we're going to go through the groups alphabetically. We start with Group A and Man United's 1-0 home loss to Bayern Munich. Kingsley come on with the goal and a Harry Kane assist there. United eliminated from all European competition before Christmas for the first time since 2006. That was apart from the seasons when they didn't make it in the contest, of course. Uh, Joe, Bayern controlled the game. But not not a lot of urgency from Man United. And it was interesting to see Eric Ten Hard's comments after the game. He was saying they played well. His quote, the players gave everything. You saw the spirit. I have to credit them. Big compliments to the way they work together as a team against a good Bayern side. I mean, sure, they 
they did some pressing and got stuck in a little bit, but did they play well? This is one of those things. This is one of those things where it feels to me like Ten Hag is trying to control the message around this game, and I don't. I don't necessarily blame him for that. This was actually before I go any further. Taylor, if you are listening, stop. Go do something else with your time. Yeah. Come back or just come back in the second segment. Any that's going to work out just fine. Um, go spend a little bit more time with your daughter and just close your ear holes. I, I actually didn't I'll think Manchester United was atrocious in this game, but I didn't think they were good. Right? They needed something out of this game. They needed a win against Bayern Munich and a draw in the other game in Group A to actually have a chance to advance. Like those two things happening would send Manchester United through to the round of 16. They're in one of the five of eight groups in this match day that had something to play for. And they were the team with something to play for in this group. And there was not the attacking urgency, I felt, for them to actually go out there and create enough chances to make their way through Bayern Munich. Now what that enabled Manchester United to do, playing out of pretty much the same fluid 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 shape, depending on the positioning of Scott McTominay and Bruno Fernandes in midfield. Like A lot of things looked similar, and what Manchester United were able to do in this game was because they weren't going all out in the attack, they also controlled Bayern Munich fairly well prior to the Harry Kane assist on that Kingsley Coman goal. You know, the advantage for, for Manchester United in this game is that Bayern Munich didn't really have anything to play for. They were already locked into not just the round of 16, but locked into first place in this group. So there was literally nothing for them to gain besides maybe saving some face after a big loss in the Bundesliga over the weekend. But Bayern didn't really seem to have a ton of urgency either. So I, I thought it was frustrating, even as a neutral, watching Manchester United, who just seemed so hesitant to open the game up, hesitant to go out there and play. And I'm not even sure that's like a tactical thing so much as it is a personnel thing when it's like, how much are you really going to create with Anthony, who's been a complete bust in the Premier League and in the Champions League. Garnacho is still very, very young. Hoyland, who has not scored a Premier League goal. Amrabat, who's not a like a real progressive passer in midfield. And McSauce, like, I, I just don't, I, I genuinely don't really know what Eric Ten Hag is supposed to do. Yeah, I appreciate you throwing in the McSauce because it hasn't been explained to me if I'm Graham or Taylor in this. So I was just going to go like the whole Scotland thing just in gotcha. case. So <laughs> I appreciate you making me not have to correct you there. Um, right. But I agree with with most of what you said, Joe. What jumped out to me in this game was I did think that, man, you came out with a little bit more energy than I expected. I did think they played higher up the field. I thought maybe they would try and like hold things for a while and then go for the goal. But there is no final third decision maker in this group. There is no one to pick the lock and Bruno Fernandes can do special things, but most of it is middle third to get into the final third or to, to launch players into the attack in transition moments. But when Byron was sitting deeper, there was no option except Anthony coming inside and trying to hit a 40 yard shot into a top corner, which spoilers, he never did throughout the game. So it felt like one of those moments where you watched and you said, there is the, the, there is no answer on this team. And I think that's what you walk away from with Man U. And you look at Hoyland up top, like he was put there to be a stationary piece for talent around him that's creating chances just to be a consistent guy who occupies center backs and can put away the odd chance. And that doesn't exist. It's like he doesn't fit in the front three that you're putting out there in this game. Um, and then you look at a Bayern team that, as Joe said, didn't have a ton to play for, but clearly played more than they would have if they hadn't gotten smoked on the weekend, which that's not like a negative for, or that's not a, for Man U, like, oh no, we got unlucky. Like you should have done your business earlier in the group stage. Um, but Harry Kane's elite creating oh. chances. And that's like, 
you watch him play and you watch him more or less because now Bayern, it's like, oh, they're going to win every game except for when they lose 5-0 on the weekend. But he's known as a goal scorer. But when he drops in and he's able to play players through and he's able to sort of play make, which he doesn't do as much for England as I would like, but he's done for Tottenham for obviously ever. He is just a special all-around player. And I think we forget that sometimes with the goal scoring numbers. Yeah, a couple of Bayern notes. One, I didn't think they were fantastic in this game, but they didn't really need to be. Two, that Harry Kane assist was fantastic. That was one of the plays of the match day. Outside of the boot, picking the lock to find Kingsley Coman, who's being kept on side. It is a perfectly... He kind of like slaps at the ball. Like Harry Kane almost slaps at the ball with the outside of his foot and plays it right into the path of Kingsley Coman, plays him through... And Coman scores in the 70th minute, and it's 1-0. That was fantastic. And my last note on Bayern is to give credit to the fans. I don't know if you guys heard this. I don't usually watch yes. games with the, the right, audio on. All right, let's on. skip over this bit. <laughs> but Bayern chanting, Bayern, 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 I thought was fantastic to begin with. I was like, okay, they're dominating the atmosphere. This game, not in Germany, listener. This game is at yeah. Old Trafford. So the Bayern fans are cheering. Manchester United fans are dead silent. And all you can hear on the broadcast is Bayern, Bayern, Bayern. And the second bit of, of all this is later on, I think it's after they score, you have Bayern fans singing It's Coming Home with a very slight German accent in yeah. the song. In Old Trafford, I, that was easily the best moment of this game and, and one of the moments of the entire match day. I just could not get enough of that. So two things. Uh, in my experience of the times I've been to Old Trafford, it is generally a poor atmosphere from the home fans, unless they're really up for it on a big Champions League night, which they should have been for this one, but <laughs> yep. they obviously weren't. <laughs> the definition um, of Bayern on the last day in a must win. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So, well, I think that's a big indicator of where they're at at this point. Yeah, but the, That reminded me, I was lucky enough to go to the 2013 Champions League final, which was Bayern versus Dortmund. They were singing the same thing there as well at Wembley Stadium, which hurt even more, frankly. <laughs> uh, also, there's, uh, there's footage of the Bayern fans chanting, your poop and you you know you are so like the, the thing about german english people don't like to admit how similar they are to germans and like the, the sense of humor is very similar so like major props to the to the bayern fans for doing that old Trafford, frankly that was incredible um but gus if we could talk about eric eric ten Hag as well i mean what, what happens at this point we can give man united some dispensation at the, uh, sure they've got injuries do you remember mason mount he's a thing for example like uh, but like what what could what could happen down this path of mediocrity that Man United are on at the moment? Because who's going to step in at this point? There's not even anyone like this. Jim Ratcliffe deal seems to be have been hovering in the ether yeah. for for months now. So like, is it just to see out the rest of the season in, in, in mid table and then well, let's have, let's spend a load of money next summer and see if we'll do the same thing again? What's 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 going on here? It does feel like that's what's going to happen, and I I think Joe mentioning like. Eric Ten Hag trying to control sort of the the narrative coming out of the game. And I think you see like a decent closing of ranks around him. Uh, There is protection for him. The players are speaking up for him. I think a lot of the fans are as well. But this Jim Ratcliffe sale is amazing because it means there is no one in place to fire Eric Ten Hag, which is a really good position to be in as a manager because Jim Ratcliffe's group is supposed to be the one managing sporting. The sale has not gone through. And their part has not been officially passed. So there is no one in place right now ahead of Eric Ten Hag on the sporting side. And then there's no clear setup of who would replace him, who would put in an interim, who would pick the next name, who would go through the interview process. So it feels right now like he's pretty safe and pretty stable. Um, He has wasted hundreds of millions of 
pounds, which sounds like fun. And I'm in favor of people going for that experience. I, there's a lot of movies <laughs> like that where you have to spend it in a certain amount of time. And clearly he would win that yes. competition. Yeah. He could be in a Richard Pryor movie, basically, <laughs> if he wanted to be. But yeah, for Man U fans, if you're not paying attention, if you are, if you're not a Man U fan and you're curious sort of what the future looks like, um, right now there is no full-time head of sporting and there's no one above Eric Ten Hag in the org chart at Man U on the sporting side. So unless someone from the business side were to come over and fire him, which would be inappropriate and probably wouldn't happen, he's safe and he's going to get to continue to be Premier League manager of the month, month after month going forward because he doesn't have to manage in Champions League, which is, you know, clearly a problem for them. I love it when we talk org charts on this podcast. We don't do enough of it, frankly. But you make a very good point, Mr. Guster, indeed. Uh, At least uh, Man United, you know, the next game... Oh, wait, it's Liverpool away. Yeah, that's... uh... That's going to be fun for them this weekend. Not a fun time to be a Manchester United fan at the moment. Uh, Taylor Rocco, you can unplug your ears. Let's go to Copenhagen 1, Galatasaray Neil. Brilliant stuff from Copenhagen to qualify. Amazing scenes at full time at this one as well. The first time in the knockouts for over a decade. I mean, Taylor, full props to Copenhagen. They had that big win over Man United earlier in the competition. Uh, the goalish draw at Bayern in the last round, you know, doing <laughs> doing wonderful stuff for them as well. Huge for them. They have, I saw, less than 5% of Man United's budget to Copenhagen. Wow. wow. So, yeah. Yeah, this is, I don't know who you're throwing to because I'm not Taylor and Goss isn't Taylor either. But Taylor, if you're listening, please toss out an answer. I'm going to cut in anyway and say, it, it, before this group started, Copenhagen would have been the team that I predicted last. And, and to be honest, I still think... They were not one of the two most impressive teams to watch in this group. I think Galatasaray was that team, but they couldn't get the job done. So I have absolutely nothing against Copenhagen. The budget stuff that you mentioned, Ryan, is wild. We'll talk about this more on the big thing tomorrow. But, you know, finances play a major part in this sport. And generally speaking, the teams that spend the most money on their players do the best. And Copenhagen absolutely are not in that position in this group. They spend the least of all four of these teams for them to make it into the second spot on the final day with a win over Kalatasaray at home. Like, that is a truly incredible experience, and I'm more than happy to be proved wrong here. And when you look at, like, a resume in abstract of, okay, what does an underdog team need in a group stage like this to go through versus, you know, bigger teams? It's, you have two teams in, in Manu and Galatasaray where the range of performance is massive, from underwhelming to overwhelming, of huge talent that's capable of winning games by themselves that Copenhagen can't call on, but also underperforming consistently throughout and having these brain fart moments that in a group stage, you can't afford a goal here or there. And you go back to pretty much man, you at Galatasaray taking the lead, not being able to hold it. And then Galatasaray, of course, not being able to push this game from the start when Zaish was on the bench, came off the bench was effective, was dangerous, but they're already down one zero and Copenhagen performance stayed the same. And I think their midfield three to be able to control games in and out of possession was sort of that formula of, okay, the teams around us will beat themselves. Like if we are able to maintain performance, we're going to be in a space where their variance will allow us to go through. Copenhagen did that from start to finish. And I don't, that doesn't always happen. Even in that conversation, there's normally moments where you lose your head and For Copenhagen, it came in stoppage time of the final game, picking up a red card after being up 1-0, no necessity, not even on a break in your own attacking third. But besides that, they were able to maintain that performance throughout. And I think that's really impressive. And that's sort of those opportunities that the door opens to when the other clubs 
in your group are playing in this sort of bizarre open way where they can't really control themselves. Yeah. I think we all had Galatasaray and Copenhagen finishing above Man United this group when we did our initial predictions, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Of course. Good. It's the Swiss model. There we go. It's the Danish model now, baby. Uh, Bayern finishing top, of course, in Group A with Copenhagen in second. Galatasaray and their Island of Misfit Toys players you didn't know were there but are there in third place in the Europa League. And Man United, rock bottom of Group A. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, much more. Let's do Group B next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League review. We're going to go to Group B. Uh, Longs with a 2-1 win over Sevilla. Let me try and get this analogy right, David Gus. If a Europa League trophy falls in the woods and no Sevilla is there to hear it, does it make a sound? My understanding, and obviously, and as American, I don't understand the European legal system. Uh, without Sevilla, it is not technically a Europa League. So it will not occur, and to your analogy, if no one is there... To hear it, it did not happen. So maybe it's just a Europe league. You have to take the A off or something. Is that a severe thing? Yeah, maybe it becomes an thing. American thing. <laughs> Very good indeed. All right. So, yeah, Lons, of course, uh, keeping severe bottom of the group. Lons going through to the Europa League in third place. Elsewhere in the group, PSV. Wait, can I with throw a one, one... one thing out there quick? Sorry. Just, you may. Just... Sevilla's average starting age in this game was 32 years and eight months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... They're going to win an over 40 league at some point. Like maybe that's why they didn't want to be in Europa League because they have a big tournament coming up around Christmas time for all the lads. They got a big pickup sevens game coming exactly. to save themselves for. You're right. You're right. There There we go. Yeah, I think in the last round, they had like the oldest team on average in history as well. And they're very much keeping that tradition up with this uh, aged team, Sergio Ramos et al. Um, yeah, PSV with the 1-1 draw elsewhere in the group. Arsenal had already won Group B. They are top and still um, eight changes from the weekend in a slightly disjointed Arsenal. But Joe, we had Americans doing things for PSV. Yeah, we did. We absolutely did. And the American doing the best thing was Serginho Dest's nutmeg in this game. Dest doesn't start. He comes on the field in the second half. And his most meaningful action, as we would expect from a man of Serginho Dest's character and quality, is to just <laughs> nutmeg the crap out of an opponent. And the bench just goes absolutely wild, right? Like, at this point, they're pretty sure that they've they've gone through all PSV needed out of this game to lock up second place behind Arsenal in this group was a draw, and, and they had it when Desk came on the field, and they kept it when, when the final whistle blew. But this Desk nutmeg is so good that it inspired Adam Bells of the Scuff Podcast to make an entire 15-second song about it. Go watch that <laughs> as well. It's really, really good stuff from Bells. So, yeah, this, this Desk nutmeg was special. 
comprehensively the best Joe, can American. I, can on... I jump in? The, yeah, please. I was I was shocked by the reaction of the bench because if it was me, I would have been sort of laughing and smiling. But their faces are like almost like you'd seen a car crash. It was like, is that allowed to happen? Oh my god, <laughs> there was, it was shock, genuine shock on their faces. I, it was it was a truly special moment from Destin. Maybe they just haven't <laughs> spent enough time around him to know that this is expected behavior. No, I'm That's pretty, the only thing I can think of. I'm pretty sure everyone else was like. Dude, they rotated. We were winning. No one cares. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> anger anyone. This is not what you do. This is why you're here and not at Barcelona. Um, the thing is, guys, he didn't punt it into the stands, so I'm counting this as yeah, a win. Fair. I think That's we all true. Should. He's progressing. So we are we are making progress, and yeah. that makes instead of red cards for talking back to the referee after punting the ball into you know the next city over in Trinidad and Tobago. The best American though on the field, and, and genuinely one of the best players on the field in this game on either side, is Malik Tillman, who I thought was excellent in midfield, playing as one of the free eights or PSV, defending as a as a number ten. They kind of shift their structure into this four four two shape. Tillman got tons of compliments after the game. And deserved it based off of his play. This was maybe the best game that I've ever seen him play. Not a perfect game. And there is still a lot of work for Tillman to do. He's still kind of weirdly languid and at times a little bit slow to accelerate in midfield. But man, he he was playing the distributor role out of midfield very, very well in this game. And clearly thrives in more open types of matches. He had a, a really great kind of poked through ball in the sixth minute of this game, kind of getting started early. That leads to a Pepe chance. That is a really good crashing moment from Ricardo Pepe, who starts up top for PSV in this game. Pepe ends up having that shot blocked out for a corner. But, I mean, every seemingly every forward pass from Malik Tillman in this yeah. game was was really, really sharp. He gets the, the through ball to Pepe, who then plays a really simple pass on the goal for PSV in this match. So a really nice one for Americans, specifically for Malik Tillman. I think I said Malik earlier. I honestly don't know which way to go. Please help me. Berlder says it one way. It feels like everybody else says it another way. <laughs> I can't get it straight, but that was one of my favorite parts about this game. More work for Tillman to do than, you know, playing well against a majorly rotated Arsenal side, which PSG, uh, PSV, excuse me, should thank Mikel Arteta for, but a good performance from them overall and enough to get them through the next round. I always remember it as the way I don't think it should be set. Which causes nice. chaos inside my head, but ends up with Malik instead of Malik. Uh, I agree with you. He was phenomenal in this game. There was four or five through balls from him. Different parts of the foot, different texture to it, different shape that pushed PSV through into the attack, including on the goal. What I did notice, though, is none of those spaces are where he picks up the ball with the U.S. Especially in the Trinidad and Tobago series, which isn't exactly the end-all, be-all. And I think that's where you... Hopefully, for Greg Berhalter going forward, start to look at your pool and be able to say maybe different opponents, what different matchups look like. Tillman, I thought his passing was special. It's something that maybe a lot of the U.S. players aren't capable of, but all of it came from behind midfield. Like All of it was with space behind the back line to play it into and not what we see Gio Reyna and um, Pulisic at times and Weston McKinney do, which is happening around the box in the final third. And so... As excited as I was to see what Tillman did, and it's great to see him in a big moment sort of elevate his game to keep himself in the conversation because I think we talked about it on our review show. I really liked the way he played on the road off the bench to help the U.S. close out that series um, in Nations League or whatever the competition was called at this point. Um, It is not really the way 
the U.S. plays and the games they end up in. And so this was an exciting moment for him. He was really good. It starts to go to, okay, why he's in the conversation. But game states, a lot of times for the U.S. don't end up in that, whether it's optional or because of the opponent. And so it's going to be tough, I think, to find him the right minutes to see him play this way for the U.S. Yeah, and, and I think it just goes to show how big a, a difference the type of game is right this game much more open arsenal not really ever a team that goes to sit back in a low block and so Tillman has space or he has space to exploit the same goes for Ricardo Pepe when he scores a goal I believe in the last Champions League match day the same goes for Balogun slipping in behind PSG's backline in Liga right like the, the best possible team that he can play against this season the, the thing is the U.S. isn't playing those kinds of games in CONCACAF so much these skills will be useful come the Copa America and come the World yeah. Cup when games are a bit more open but I, I just always like to reiterate for, for folks out there, like these are very different kinds of games and not always the most representative. But the best thing about Tillman's performance in this game is that it will earn him more minutes in a season where he's still trying to sort of find his footing. I think overslept somehow for an 8 p.m. game earlier this year, and there were some repercussions for that. So there's a lot of layers to what's going on at PSV right now. But this is you know a really, really nice moment for Tillman. Bielsa is the one oversleeping now. Nightmares about <laughs> Tillman in Copa America. <laughs> in Arlington, Texas, or wherever that game is going to be. <sighs> Fun times ahead. Uh, Arsenal went PS3 through in Group B. Let's go to Group C, where Napoli had a 2-0 win over Sporting Braga. Own goal, and Victor Osman were the goal scorers in that one. They're through to the knockouts in comfort. Are Napoli in second place? Joe, anything on that game? So I just couldn't believe... And nothing surprising, right? Real Madrid already threw. Napoli basically already threw. They just needed a point to guarantee it, and they, they got three out of this game. I couldn't believe from Braga, when you're, you're fighting for your lives here. Like, you still have a, a chance, a small chance but a chance to go in advance in the first goal that they give up in this game. I, I, I couldn't believe that this is the kind of chance you're giving up. So at ninth minute, the ball goes out of bounds on the far side. Napoli's right, Braga's left. It's a throw in just at the edge of Braga's defensive third. Di Lorenzo, Napoli's captain right back, goes to take the throw in, ends up taking it quickly, throws the ball down the line for Politano on the right wing. Braga are painfully slow to react to everything that's going on. They're slow to react to the throw and they're slow to get into their shape. They're slow to respond to Politano's run and the fact that he cannot be offside on a throw in. Politano gets in behind easily, cuts it across. The center back is an alert, can't deal with the cross. And Sachi hits it into the back of his own net. And it's 1-0. It's and that's how you go down in a massive game. This is the biggest game that Braga are going to play. This is a moment where you have a chance to advance. Not only is there like pride on the line, there are real financial incentives on the line for going out there and performing. And Braga just didn't have it in this game. Napoli, I thought, played well enough. Osimhen's goal is great. He's a, a, a fantastic striker and has a fantastic striker's finish. Just to go down that way that early on, it's not like the worst error you've ever seen, but it is a clear example of a team just not being dialed in in a moment where that's the baseline. Like, you need that if you want to have any chance of advancing. People come for throw-in conversations. Thank you, yes. Joe, for stepping up You're welcome. and giving the people what they want. I will say... And orc charts. And orc charts. And, and orc charts. <laughs> well, it's an HR presentation. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time. I will say for Napoli, this when you look at the run they've they've been on, they've played some of the toughest teams on their schedule. And they've, what, lost four of five coming into this one. Braga's not at that same level, but it felt like a little bit of that sigh of relief from Napoli with the performance. It felt like a number of players that we've been waiting for have sort of started to look comfortable again. And 
as we talk about what this tournament looks like going forward, like they are the team, I think, even with PSG and Inter in pot two, that you want to avoid because this feels like a group going back towards the last two years that could do something special. Uh, elsewhere in Group C, Union Berlin with a 3-2 home defeat at the hands of Real Madrid. An action-packed game this was in Berlin. An 89th-minute winner from Danny Ceballos here. Uh, Real Madrid through with a 100% record here. Union did take the lead uh, in a game that would have taken them to the Europa League, but their first Champions League campaign is over. They are bottom of the group. Uh, I did see that they had a nice banner, which you could see on the broadcast throughout. Wir brauchen die alten Forstreit. We need the Alta Forest, the Old Forest Stadium, like we need the air to breathe. Uh, there's been a bit of controversy about the fact they're playing in Berlin's Olympic Stadium for these Champions League games. They're not happy with UEFA for various reasons about that. But on the broadcast, it looks pretty awesome. It was, I don't know if you see that stadium looks cool. It right? was electric. When they when Modric has a penalty kick saved in the 44th and then Volan scores a minute and a half later, it's 60 plus thousand people losing their minds. So I understand the complaints. I think... The players have said it like it feels different. We don't feel like we have the home field advantage, although apparently part of it was the club as well, trying to get more people into the game. And, you know, I think the capacity is over double at the Olympic Stadium. But I think this was one of those nights that like in club lore, you'll go back to right An, an opportunity to play Real Madrid in front of your fans, to have those moments, to take the lead, to push the game like This, I think, even though it was meaningless, walking away as a fan, a neutral, this was one of the most fun games of the round. I think it was it's one of the memories that I'll have from this year's Champions League. And so it sucks not being in your building, not having the fans right on top of you. Obviously, the track is kind of miserable for everyone involved um, anti track and field here. But it was, I think, especially in that first half, the biggest moment that we saw at that time in the match day. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Joe, there was a, a close-up on Luka Modric in this game when he smiled and he looked so wrinkly. And I was like, I'm older than him. I, am I that old now? Father time is catching up on us all, Joe. Brian, you look great. And Luka Modric <laughs> can never have the beard power that you have. Also, not a good game for Luka Modric either. Like this is, I think that's probably the only time I'll say that between now and when he retires. But a really poor ball and ball buildup early on in the match that leads to a, a really good chance for Union Berlin. Misses that penalty kick that Goss references like, this was not a runaway for Real Madrid. They were clearly the better team, right? Union Berlin are are not super good at soccer at the moment and haven't been for really the entirety of this season, but they hung around. And one of the reasons for that was Modric. So, Ryan, I'm working on a theory that he's actually aging specifically faster than you, and somehow he's just accelerated in a weird kind of roundabout way to make you feel better about where you are in life. Thanks, Joe. That does make me feel better. All right. Uh, Real Madrid and Napoli through, of course, in Group C. In Group D, uh, Salzburg with a 3-1 home defeat at the hands of Benfica. Uh, Salzburg uh, finishing bonding with the group. Benfica going through to the Europa League with that win. And at the top of the group, we've got Real Sociedad through top of the group at Inter in second. They had a 0-0 draw at the San Siro. Gus, um, some of the Inter fans online seem to be unhappy at the rotation. They thought they could have gone on and tried to win the group, but, you know, they're through. All good. Sort of. We'll see on Monday, right? We'll see when the draw comes through. And Inter made it to the final as the second-place team out of their group last year. So I think Inzaghi has pretty pretty strong confidence that, you know, head-to-head against any team, they have their chance. They know what they're made of. They can, you know, create chances through Lotaro. They're, They're strong defensively, but it felt like you could simplify your life a little bit by winning this game. Like if they're in pot one PSG 
are really the team to avoid in pot two for them and everyone else. And so now they're most likely in a situation where they play a really strong team. So it felt unnecessary at times from them. Um, but congrats to Sociedad. It's their second time out of the, the group stage in their club's history. First time they've ever won the group. And like some of the quotes from the players were, yeah, we didn't really know what would happen was kind of the comments of like, we just started and we, we figured, oh, we'll see how it goes along. And then as the game started to build, we realized we had a chance at this. So it's a really cool moment for that club. All four La Liga teams that got through went through as as group winners. So they're all in pot one, which is a huge reverse, I think, from last year where Real Madrid was the only one that got through as a first place team. Um, so it shows you the strength right now of the league outside of Sevilla, who are going to go play in Copa Libertadores because they don't like playing in leagues um, over the course of the rest of the year. So it was a cool moment for Sociedad. They handled it pretty well. They took a ton of possession, even on the road. And then until Lautaro came on, it was really just Marcus Taram that was a threat. And I think that's where when you look at Inter, there's some quality in this team. There's some players that are coming back healthy soon, they think, in Pavard and, and some of the other pieces. But there really isn't the depth. Like They need that best 11 out there to compete with any team in Champions League. There's a clip from last week's Inter game, Gus. I don't know if you saw it. Of, of um, Pavard chasing. No, yeah, Pavard walking slowly backwards, clapping the fans in an, like an all-white suit, <laughs> like he's in a Puff Daddy video from the 1990s. Um, That's not then, shocking, but, by the way, for a French guy who lives <laughs> in Italy right, from right. Germany. But Turan doing the thing where he goes on all fours behind him, so he falls back on him and not only gets grass stains on his beautiful white suit, but like... The dude's coming back from injury. What? What? Come on. And then That's I thought, the so the, the rest of the clip is Pavard then chases him, yeah. which was everyone's yeah. confirmation that Pavard was potentially healthy now. Like he had passed <laughs> the beep test of chasing someone who had just tried to trip him at full speed. There is very few moments in which I'm not shocked that professional athletes have no idea how valuable their bodies are. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. 4D chess from Drama after all. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at the Wednesday games, including that Grupo death with Dortmund and PSG going through back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask me Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League review. We turn our attention now to Group E, where Atleti had a 2-0 home win over Lazio. Atleti and Lazio going through top two in this group, of course. And Celtic with a 2-1 win over Feyenoord. Celtic getting their first home win in the competition in 10 years. When already eliminated, bravo. Uh, also, 10 years ago, it was also Dutch opposition. They beat it was Ajax when they got their last home win. I mean, not... Bad going against the reigning Dutch champions for Celtic there. Um, Feyenoord have lost each of their last eight Champions League away games, though, so interesting stuff there. Uh, Gus, anything from 
Group B before we jump to F? Uh, Antoine Griezmann with the opener and the winner against Lazio, which one, thank you for beating Lazio, um, but two, puts him five goals behind Luis Aragones as uh, the number one all-time goal scorer in Atleti uh, history. That's including starting at Sociedad and then going to Barcelona to come back and set that record. He's 32 right now. It feels like he's as good as he's ever been. For this group, and I think when you look at this team, it feels so cohesive in Simeone that he's obviously going to shatter that record, and it's just cool to see, I think, a club legend put this together, and he's going to be an interesting one, I think, going forward of his time at Atleti, not one of the major clubs, but put themselves in that conversation over the course of his time, starting for France, but didn't score the goals in the big moments. Uh, It'll be interesting to see sort of how his career is wrapped up when it's over. It will be indeed. Uh, we go now to Group F, where Borussia Dortmund and Paris Saint-Germain have progressed. Wow. Uh, Dortmund with a 1-1 draw against PSG at home. Uh, PSG fighting back from already qualified Dortmund and avoided embarrassment this one. Oron Zoya Emery with the equaliser after Adiemi with the opener. Um, for me, Joe, the highlight was that Sula goal line clearance in oh. the 17th minute, which was uh, an absolute worldie of a clearance. It, it really was. It's one of the best clearances I've ever seen. I thought that was a sure goal for Mbappe when he when the ball comes off of his foot because it looks like it's going into the back of the net. And Nicolas Sula somehow gets on his horse and gets back there and, and takes care of business. That clearance was spectacular. Even the context that leads into that clearance, I think, is spectacular. And this is where my tactical nerdery is going to show itself. So at the beginning of this game, PSG have a decent amount of the ball. Borussia Dortmund playing at home, though, are, are not afraid of them, seemingly. And PSG have struggled a decent amount this year when it comes to playing out of the back, which is a little inexplicable with this personnel, especially under Lucho. But they have had some issues with that. We saw that against Newcastle earlier on, even in the Champions League, right? So Dortmund come out and they're... They're pressing, not all the time, but they're pressing a decent amount in this game. They're pressing in in moments, especially off goal kicks and some other things, back passes, and then they'll drop back, not to like a flat 4-4-2 block or even to a low block. They would drop back, at least in the first half and in the opening stages, into a 4-2-3-1 block, which is pretty much a sure, a sure sign of a team that doesn't really want to be back defending, but are just there until they can somehow force a back pass and step back into their press. Dortmund were were eager, like they were trying to get after this game, and they went man-oriented in midfield. So they had their central midfielders, plus Marco Royce as the number 10, tracking PSG's central midfielders. So had number six for PSG, and two number eights, those shapes match up against each other really well. It's kind of man-for-man pretty naturally in those areas. Not hardcore man-marking, but a lot of, of kind of shadowing players around different zones. And that gave PSG some trouble early on in this game. They could not figure out how to play through midfield. They were trying to, but their eights and their six, Vitinho started as the six in this game, which was an aggressive choice from Luis Enrique. They couldn't get free. Like, they couldn't figure out how to progress. And eventually, in this game, maybe 15 minutes or so into the match, PSG realized that, okay, we're having trouble playing through midfield, but we have the fastest or second fastest player on the planet on our on our team and our front line playing through the middle mostly in this match, killing Mbappe. And they start to play long, looking for Mbappe. And they had some real success with that. And, and one of the best chances they had was that ball over the top. Mbappe brings it down. He runs in behind. And Nicolas Sula somehow does a, a miracle on the goal line and saves it to keep Dortmund, you know, at that point still in a really strong position. So it wasn't PSG's best game. They did find some solutions to get through. Eventually, it's Adeyemi that puts Dortmund up 1-0 after PSG can't play out of that press from Borussia Dortmund. And then it's Zaire Emery, who is like maybe the best 17-year-old at anything on the planet right now, who scores that goal. 
it is so stupid how France have these players just falling out of their couch cushions because he is he's unbelievable. Like he can crash the box, score goals, add an extra number in the final third. His ability on the ball in deeper areas is fantastic, even though you can tell he's still trying to figure out his body. If he can do this when he's still slightly awkward, like, yeah, it's just going to be stupid watching him dominate teams in 2026 at the World Cup. But this, this is a fun game, even if no winner was decided. I guess PSG, the real winner, because they make it through. Yeah, it's interesting on PSG, Joe, the Guardian in their match report. I like this. I'm going to read this out. Since joining in the summer, Luis Enrique has generated perhaps the most articulate vision of what this club should be. Not a decadent star vehicle, not a celebrity TV show, but a modern balling unit full of youth and pace and movement and fun. No longer do they defend only with eight men. I think Zero Emery is quite a good indicator of how far they've come, Joe, because he wouldn't have been in the team like, what, two seasons ago? Right. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel that way. I will say that the benefit that Enrique has is that um, the players will defend because it's not Neymar and Messi out there alongside Mbappe. So yeah. I think that was going to happen. I mean, I, I could have taken over this team and, and gotten a little bit more buy-in to players without Messi and Neymar okay. being in there on the defensive side. Any, no, literally any warm body could have done Challenge that accepted, now in Joe. Miami. <laughs> I'll take the paycheck as well. Um, not that I'm not happy here, but you know, I'm, I am, I'm open to coaching PSG. Uh, so I think Enrique gets a little bit of a bump there, but it is hard to know if Zaire Emery would have been able to fit into past versions of this team with those big three attackers because he is he's still not the finished product but if you can have him just kind of be a part of a team that really plays like an actual soccer team even an imperfect one there are real benefits to that yeah uh Gus one of the most shocking stats from this group I saw well shocking for me anyway is that P uh Dortmund have only conceded four goals in this group stage PSG and Milan have conceded eight looking at like they're defending here and maybe in a couple of other games I was like Oh, yeah. I thought the defense was more of a problem than it clearly is on paper. It was undortman like the way they played on the road in this group stage. They sat behind the ball and they were okay when they were in their set defense, when they were in their lower block. And that's why they were able to beat Milan in Milan, where everything came off the counter for them. They allowed Milan to push their numbers forward. But in this game, after the segment Joe talked about, Dortmund ended up getting more of the ball and stepping higher. And any time they either made a mistake in possession or were not able to close down on their press, it felt like a five-alarm fire uh, across the back line. And you see in a few of the chances now, Mbappe is obviously elite and special, but it felt like the center backs were about 50 yards apart from each other. And everyone all of a sudden is scrambling to try and close down the middle, which is where you would think you would be to sit in rest defense, to be able to protect your own goal. So I think this was one of those games where you saw the quality of Dortmund that they were, uh, it looked like on the verge of winning actually in this game, especially when Gio Reyna, hence American, came off the bench and helped create some chances. But at the same time, you saw all the deficiencies of why this team isn't really considered a contender, I think, this year to win this. Yeah. Gio Reyna very much basing his hair on Graham Rutherford at the moment, just putting that out there, by the way. Uh, well, let's go to St. James's Park, where Milan had a 2-1 win over Newcastle. Christian Pulisic with the equaliser for Milan, with Samuel Chikwesi getting the winner. Milan going into the Europa League in third place with this win. But Newcastle, the European dream is done. Mm, shame for Newcastle and their owners, etc. And so on. Uh, it seemed, uh, Gus, that Newcastle did have Milan on the back foot for a lot of this one, but just didn't create enough, didn't do quite enough. No, it was interesting. Callum Wilson got the start over Isak, and I think there was positives there. I think you saw 
Uh, for Milan, they had injuries, so Teo Hernandez started at center back for the first time in his career alongside Tamori. You saw Wilson sort of push that back line, which created a little bit of a soft spot underneath for Jolton um, to operate, and that's where he gets the goal. But it also, I think, took away some of the threat in the attack. It took away some of the finishing quality and creativity. And so Milan, sitting deep for most of the first half, they weren't able to hit cleanly in transition, and then they bring the subs off the bench in Okafor and Chukweze, and on literally their first touch, Okafor takes the ball, carries it 55 yards, sort of operates on the top of the 18, and then sets up Chukweze for the goal, and that was sort of the moment Milan was waiting for, and the quality they were waiting for in transition, but I think Newcastle played the game they wanted to play, and as you said, there just wasn't that final third quality for them, and there was not the depth because of the injuries to continue it for 90-plus minutes. If they maybe had been able to maintain that throughout the game, they could have at some point broken down um, this Milan team, although I don't know that Tamori was going to be beat (laughs) on the day. Take away any quality goalkeeping, as Mignon made a pretty big save, but the uh, sliding tackle from Demore off the foot of Almiron is like one of the great tackles I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. In- interesting that Newcastle and Man United both bottom of their group, but two very different exits in many ways. Uh, Newcastle, much more fortitude, Gus, in this in this uh, round. That great win over PSG, the 4-1 win earlier on. I mean, they'll come up, they'll come away with happier memories than the United fans, I would suggest, in this one. Um, Dortmund and PSG going through. Milan in third place and Newcastle bottom of the lot. Uh, let's go to Group G, where Ebi Leipzig had a 2-1 win over Young Boys. Joe, anything on that? I tuned in this game. I tuned into this game. To watch future Red Bull playmaker, I should specify New York Red Bull playmaker, Emil Forsberg, who it looks like is heading to the New York Red Bulls basically any day now. Maybe there'll be some announcement coming this weekend. I don't I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But I turned on this game in the second half. I was like, oh, I'll watch Forsberg, right? Get, a, a, get an extra little bit of scouting on him before he comes to the Red Bulls. And basically, right as I turn on the game, he scores a goal. So Red Bulls fans, I, I, maybe this is a good sign for you. I don't really know. But Forsberg's playing in mostly the left half space in that 4 triple 2 under Marco Rosa, but kind of drifting all over the attacking midfield line. Doesn't drop super deep for them, but it's kind of going from side to side. Picks up the ball on the, on the left side of the box against young boys in this game and scores. There was nothing really for Leipzig to play for in this game. They were not going to end up in first, but they were not going to end up in third or fourth either. You can do the math there, but it was a nice goal from Forsberg. And since Goss is here, I feel liberated to go full MLS. And Ryan, you mentioned Charlotte FC earlier, who's coaching young boys in this game, but former Chicago Fire manager... Rafael Vicky. So lots of MLS ties in this game. Not an especially well-played match, really, from either side. But Forsberg got the goal and, and eventually ended 2-1 Leipzig. Yeah, the, from the segment I watched, Forsberg looked super active. And that's like the question mark is, is he a thousand years old and doesn't care? We don't know about the caring part when he comes to the U.S. or New Jersey. But from this game, he looked like a player who was capable of being a difference maker, which I think was good. And Vicky still looks beautiful. So it, it all works. It's all working very well for Manchester City as well. They've topped the group with 18 points after a 3-2 win at Red Star. Uh, Mika Hamilton scoring on his City debut. He's been with the club since age nine. Quite a few academy players on the field in this one. Um, Calvin Phillips played and scored as well. Wow, that's fun, isn't it? Cool. Very nice. Uh, 100% record for Man City. Uh, Pep Guardiola's side becoming the uh, the second English team to achieve a 100% record in the group stage after Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in 21-22. Anyone with anything on this? 
No, Micah yeah. Hamilton was the the story came out after during the game from Sam Lee of the Athletic that he was a ball boy uh, six years ago. Yeah, and Pep Guardiola asked him to help the team move the play quicker. And he did that, and now he's in the team scoring goals in Champions League. So it was a pretty cool story. If you saw his post-game interview, he's, like, stoked. I think there was a decent chance he was going to walk away with the microphone. Like, he was very uh, overwhelmed by the experience. But you mentioned it, 5 of 11 uh, of the final players on the field were academy players for City. And he's part of a group that's coming through and pushing things. So I think similar to PSG, it's sort of this is the second iteration generation of the Petro bought team, which is buying young players and pushing them through the academy on top of buying $200 million players. There you go. Very important game for City, uh, getting some extra value on those players that will inevitably sell from their academy. (laughs) Wonderful stuff. Uh, Finally, Group H of this group stage, the group of goals, 13 of them exactly, on Wednesday. Porto against Shakhtar, a 5-3 win for Porto, an eight-goal thriller in the land of uh, Joe's old dictatorship. Joe, you um, you still ruling over Porto these days? I'm ruling, but more a bit more passively, um, just as I'm sort of waiting for the soccer product to return. I'm more working behind the scenes to roll heads rather than doing it in the public eye. Wonderful stuff. And Antwerp with a shocker, a 3-2 win over Barcelona. Uh, their first ever win in the competition, a 90-second minute winner for them as well. They were already eliminated in this group, but way to go, Antwerp, in this one. A win over Barcelona with 31% possession and five shots on target. Uh, Gus, my only criticism of this game was uh, the camera angle at Antwerp Stadium. When it was like, fully zoomed out, you were like three miles from the field. I couldn't see anybody. Yeah, that's the key to make the 31% possession look like 62%. They scored the goals. It was fun. And Vincent Janssen lives. It's one of those moments where they scored the first goal and they zoomed in on him. And I go, I know him. Not like, oh, I looked at the lineups and was paying attention. It's just like, you know, you do the Leo DiCaprio pointing at the screen and then you go and do the Google search. You're like, that's the guy. That's the guy from the thing that I've known for a while. So he was a he was a pretty good find. He's 29. I just looked it up. He's 29 years old still. So you mean 30. You said 39. 39. No, that's the only thing not. I'll accept is 39. <laughs> wow. Good stuff. So Barcelona, despite their defeat, going through top of Group H uh, with 12 points. Porto joining them on 12 points, going through as well. Shakhtar going through to the Europa League. And Antwerp, as we noted, are out of the contest. Gus. So no draw yet. Blind winners. Do you guys have picks? Ooh. Ryan, why don't you go first? You're always asking me for <laughs> predictions. I, I would welcome. I'm not sure much has changed. That's why me, I did so this, so I don't first. have to answer. Well played. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go wild and say Real Madrid because Ooh. Real Madrid. There I'll do. Go. Ryan, would you? Let me ask you this because I think Real Madrid are absolutely in the top contenders right now. Would you be comfortable with taking Real Madrid and, and, and me taking Bayern Munich and Manchester City? Like, do you feel good about your odds, or do you think that it's unfair that I could take two teams and you're not confident enough about Real Madrid to make that deal? Taking the deal, Joe. I'm taking the deal. Okay. Deal. Fortune favors the bold. Great. And Gus, you want the rest? I'll give you I'll give you every other team. Yeah, I would actually so Real Madrid right now, third third highest odds to win the whole thing. I actually like that. My field being Arsenal, PSG, Atleti, Inter. I like it's that. Not impossible. Field. No, yeah. I like that field. All right. Good work. Well, we're done. I, I think I came out clearly <laughs> as the best in in that group of three. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if either of your picks worked out. Spoilers, well. Swiss model, Bayern plays Man City in the next <laughs> round in a double elimination game where both teams go home. 
We understand. Uh, why didn't they make model? it best of three? We all know that's the best way to do these elimination rounds. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you very much, Joe and David. Thank you very much, listener. Why don't in the Patreon, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, perhaps we'll continue the conversation about potential Champions League winners. But for now, David Gust, uh, returning champion, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. For myself, Graham and Taylor, thank you for having us. <laughs> Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed. For for just me, and I guess for Guy Fieri, maybe, I'm still a little confused about the tie. It's It's yeah. been an honor. For Arizona, listener, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye!